All right, social media family. Thank you for joining us for our first installment in the Lessons from David series. All right, so we are on lesson one tonight. So the, the subtitle for this lesson is Accept Responsibility. Accept Responsibility. Now, how many of us, when we, we hear that phrase, automatically kind of clench up and like, oh, no. Yes, I'm just kidding. I'm like, what does that mean? All right. Well, we going to get into that tonight. Okay. Now, I'm looking at the study guide here. Now, when we talk about David, right, can we begin a dialogue with, without David, without talking about Saul? Okay. So we're going to talk about Saul for a little bit, and we're going to look at, look at him. Okay. So first and foremost, though, before we go into the scripture, was it God's will for them to have a king, for Israel to have a king? No. Originally, no. They, he wanted, God wanted to be their king, and he was for a long time. He gave them what they asked. Yeah. I said yes. Because, you know, you read, I think, I don't know if it's in Deuteronomy somewhere, where he said they were going to have a king. But he was talking, I think I'm reading the other day, how he said, well, let it, it has to be, um, but yeah, they were supposed to, it was some point they were supposed to have a king. But um, I'm not sure why I saw that. Okay. Okay. Well, we do know that there is one king. Yes. All right, the king of kings. Mm -hmm. And he is he is ultimately the in the attended ruler of Israel. Right. Yes. But the people were clamoring for the people of Israel wanted a human king. So Saul became that man. All right, so let's look at, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 9. Verse 2 and verse 21. Now, we're looking at these two verses because I know when I was looking at the outline, you don't really hear this a lot when you think about Saul, but it's recorded that he was a very humble man. In the beginning. All right. First Samuel 9 and 2 says, I'm going to read that in New Living Translation. It says, One day, Kish's donkey strayed away, and he told Saul, Take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading verse 3. Verse 2. I'm going to start at verse 1, matter of fact. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was the son of Abel, son of Zeor, son of Barakoth, son of Aphiah of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Okay, so 
Head and shoulders taller than anyone in the land. That's a big guy. Handsome guy. All right, so this is like, <laughs> you know, the man. Just looking at the outward appearance. I mean, you know, attractive looking guy. Very tall. Make our football players look like... Yeah, you know, so tall, dark, and handsome, right? Okay. All right, verse 21, jumping down there, it says, Saul replied, but I am only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Now, you see how Saul is responding to Samuel, right? He's a humble guy. Now, for context, I'm going to go back. And we're going to start at verse 6. Let's go back to verse 6 okay. and go down to 21. Staying in the New Living Translation says, but the servant said, I've just thought of something. There is a man of God who lives here in the town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone. We don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, let's go and ask the seer. For prophets used to be called seers. All right, Saul agreed. Let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God lived. As they were climbing the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servant asked, is the seer here today? Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. He is at the town gates. He has just arrived to take part in the public sacrifice up at the place of worship. Hurry and catch him before he goes up there to eat. The guests won't begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. So they entered the town. And as they passed through the gate, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the place of worship. Now, the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines. For I've looked down on my people in mercy and heard their cry. When, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then, Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together, and in the morning I will tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. 
And I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. And then verse 21 again, Saul replied, but I'm only the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Now, you're reading this. Now, Samuel, you, he's kind of taken aback by what, what Saul is taken aback by what Samuel said, right? So when you hear the word Saul, you think about Saul, does humility come to mind? He started well. <laughs> okay. So... Starting well does, is not a precursor necessarily for ending well, right? Because I know when I was, I was looking at the outline, I said, wow, you know, that kind of just jumps out at you. But you, you can see in his response, like, okay, he's kind of, he, he doesn't, it's, it's, you don't see this arrogance, right? Or, or even or confidence, or any of that there, right here. But we associate Saul with what? Pride. Yeah, pride. Anger. 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 Jealousy. Jealousy. Anger. That's a big one. Rage. Insecurity. Mm -hmm. Jealousy. All right. All right. Pride, yeah. Yeah. When they started singing about David, Saul wanted to kill him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. David, Saul killed his thousands, but David, David killed his thousands. tens of thousands. Right. So, yeah. how did he respond after that? He he was feeling some kind of way. Because David was getting more, he was getting more shine, as they say, mm -hmm. than Saul was. Right? But that person, this is not the same person that we see right here, at least that what is being described in the text. Now, looking at the outline, it says, during those first two or three years of his kingship, Saul really did seek God. The Lord wrought some major deliverances through him and solidified the kingdom, the kingdom under him. Now see, I see something here in verse, looking at verse 20. Now we agree that the scriptures say that it, was, it wasn't God's will for them to have a human king over them like the other nations. But the people want a, wanted a human king like the other nations. But look at verse 20. It says, and don't worry about those donkeys. This is Samuel talking to Saul. That there were, that were lost three days ago. For they have been found. And I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. 
and looking at what was where did I see that? In verse 16. That's what I was thinking of. Verse 15 says, Now the Lord told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of ben from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. So even in the people's desire to have a human king, which was not his or God's will, what do we see here? There's still mercy, right? Yeah, that's wonderful. Because the intent here, he, and it says, he will rescue them from the Philistines. For I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. So even in the midst of the going against the will, God's will, the Lord still wants to extend mercy, right? So there's a so I'm, I'm reading this. Then that means there's an opportunity then for Saul to excel, right? Mm -hmm. Now look at this point here. During those first two or three years of his kingship, Saul really did see God, right? So, seeking God and humility. That's, that's the connection. Now, what do we know about David? This is, the, this is something that he did continually. Now, obviously, we, as, we, as we're going to get into, he has some, some definite, some times of, of sin Missteps. God still said it was a man after his own heart. I mean, through all of that, mm -hmm. I because he it. stayed humble. Yeah, I loved it even after Jonathan had died and stuff. He he still he was like, God, where should I go? And he goes, Go to this village. Well, when should I go? And he was just you know back and forth. It was just little things, little details. He was asking God what to do each moment. I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. Now, the first two or three years, right, of Saul's kingship. He really sought the Lord, right? And there was some deliverance that that happened under his rulership. Now, let's go to First Samuel thirteen, and we're gonna look at verses eight through ten. First Samuel thirteen, verses eight through eight through ten. You know what? I'm going to back up to verse 5. All right. Staying in the New Living Translation says, The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariots, char charioteers, 
and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Machmash, east of Bethaven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. And because they were hard pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. Okay, now. So what do we see here? I mean, the first part of what I see is when it's like, you know, of course, you know, my prayer comes before I fall first. And that saying that, you know, I always refer to David, man after God's own heart, I always kind of like, you know, sought a little more understanding on that word, but, you know, those passages of scripture. But what I've gotten from it is like, David always put what God thought first, regardless of what the people around him thought, how they felt, what they said, what was their opinion. David, whether they left him or whether they didn't leave him, David always put God first. But it looks like Saul, because people are starting to, you know, like getting fearful and starting to leave him and not follow him and not think so well of him. And that affected how his decision making. So he started making a decision on what people were saying and doing. Mm -hmm. So mm. that's right. <laughs> mm. that's, that's good. That's good. Because you see, you're looking at verses five and six, and now you see that the the Philistine army, I mean, it's looking pretty daunting, right? And Samuel is tarrying. Uh, he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So he's waiting on Samuel, but he don't see him. But yet the people, the people are feeling how they feel. Right. There's there's this this danger here, right? But you gonna fear God or you gonna fear the people? But he said Samuel was taking too long. <laughs> yep. Begin to crumble. So he like, started human resources. So justified. He stepped in and did what the, 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 the priest or the seer was supposed to do. He stepped in and usurped that authority. Yeah, he said he taking too long. So he, he was like, hey, he's going to be an eight, he's eight on one. Yeah, 
<laughs> he felt like he was justified and go on here and get it done. Okay. We disobey God, we're never justified, are we? <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. All right. Because, I mean, just thinking about this situation now, we, we kind of, we got to look at it and say, now, in hindsight, we can look at this situation like, say, oh, you silly, man. What's wrong with you? But imagine being in that situation. Mm-hmm. He's losing his army. They're going every which way. Mm-hmm. He was panicking. Yeah. You the man. You supposed to be the man. Like, Eric, what's up, man? We got, yo, we, we're, we're Samuel. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Like, everybody, like thousands of people looking at you. They want to answer. So, you know, it, again, as, as Paul said in Corinthians, the things that were, that were written before time were written for our learning, right? So we can look at this and see the danger of being in people bondage. Because I heard preachers say the worst type of bondage to be in is people bondage. And you see how Saul's, what was happening with the people moved him to do something contrary to what God's instructions were. So let's look, let's keep reading. All right. All right, going back to verse 10. And then it says, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Now, again, you're looking at the situation. He has some reasonings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sam was being slow. At least that, you know, from what he was saying. And this one was like, no. <laughs> In verse 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command of the Lord. Your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. That's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. You can see it's like, but, but Samuel, they were, you know, they were scattered, and, and well, I just couldn't, and well, I own um, well this and what. You know? <laughs> his, his, his reason was valid. He's like, he takes you long. Yeah. So, I mean, enemies coming. Yeah. And you know what? It says we all do sometimes. You know, his mind that. You know, my man could die. We could die here, so I gotta do something. So, 
It was valid from a human point of view. It was valid. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't get here on time, so to keep from some of the worst happened. I'm yeah, in the natural, you can really understand why yeah, it didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now I want you to see verse 14 where he says, But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. So we're seeing that in this, in here, Saul did not fit that criteria as somebody that was after the Lord's heart. But I'm looking at point one in our outline says during the first two or three years of his kingship, Saul really did see God. But then you look down chapter 13, you see this situation happen. So again, there was a lot of natural pressure that Saul was under here. Human reasoning can see exactly why he did what he did. I think David, through his mistakes, he had a root in him. He had a root of really talking to God and having a relationship with him. I think all that time that he spent shepherding, as a young man, a I think he talked to God a lot. I think he saw him. I think the Psalms he wrote shows that through the ups, the downs, the lows, the highs, he really, you know, trusted God. Most, I mean, you know, this is humanly possible. You know? Plus, as a shepherd, he killed the lion and the bear. So if he was willing to give his lives for those animals, how much more for the people? True. That is, you know, he had a heart. You know, it was God, you know. Yeah, he had a shepherd's heart. Yeah, you know, God gave him that really big. Yeah, looking back at my outline, it says the law prescribed that only priests could offer these sacrifices mm-hmm. and petition the Lord like this. Therefore, as a secular government official, this was a major sin on Saul's part. When Samuel reproved him for what he had done, Saul, even a people pleaser, ever a people pleaser, tried to justify himself. This is a common practice today. Most people try to excuse themselves and shift blame. Hmm. I'm kind of sitting on this because I'm looking at, because see, we, we, we quick to be hard on Saul. But we got to think about it like, okay, now how many, how many of us have been victims of people pleasing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like conforming to what the consensus says in, in, in contradiction to the will of the will of the Lord. Yes. I think that happens a lot in the church realm because if we really look into what Jesus said, what the Bible says, as Andrew Warmack will say, it's like, we don't let our theology get in the way of what the word says, right? You really do what the word says in the church room. Sometimes you get looked at like you got two heads. So it's like, we're going to do go with the flow of religion or we're going to actually do what God says. You know? We did how we left and opened our home up to yeah. a place. Yeah. Yep, we, we had all kinds of... And that went over like a lead balloon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not there's anything wrong with, you know, a nice church and stuff or whatever. Lots of good churches, but... Mom and I still get it sometimes. Like, where do you go to church? Oh, yeah, this Bible study. Oh, 
oh, that's cool. We're going to go to church. Yes, like, uh, they will. Okay. So we have this yeah. wonderful Bible club we go to, and they go, oh, yeah, but where do you go to church? <laughs> we, that is our church. They're like, huh? I'm kidding. I know. No, we know. It's just where people gather. Church is not a building. It's mm -hmm. not a building, but they have that preconceived. Right. It's very ingrained and burned into our thinking. But depending on how close somebody is to you, you know, they can talk you out of, you know, what you know God said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, depending on how, like, how close that person is to you, and you, mm -hmm. you know, you trust what they say, but you can have a, you know, a word from God or know what the scriptures say, but they, sometimes we allow people to talk us out of what we know is right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that speaks to the importance of having the right people in your inner circle. Mm -hmm. And having enough word in you, when someone does that, that word that's in you pops up, and you can defend yourself with it. I told her, I said, if God's told you something in this word, or even told you something, and you know that you know. Um, don't let Satan, even him come and go, that ain't true. You go, it is true. I don't care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. The Lord, right. you know that you know that God said, it's, even if it's back to, not back directly, but you, you know God told you. It's like, you know, with what Eric's saying, it was true. It's like, you know, someone close to you, if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. I've had things, I'll say that were like me, and I've literally prayed and I go, God, if you do not tell me, if God tells me something, if you don't tell me to tell anybody God or specific people, I've had God literally specifically tell me certain people. It was obvious reasons, like in my even my closest of close circle, it's like just limit this because not everybody's gonna always understand too, you know, right. what God is saying to you. I'm not saying it's not important to have, you know, good people you can count on and a good um you know, people to lean on and, and guide you and stuff, but you know, I've had friends, I've had people, I have some friends who I couldn't probably tell anything God says hardly sometimes because they're so logical. And I know they would do it in love, but it would be like, I'm just using examples. Like, are you sure you want to invest your money in that? I don't know. You know, girl, that yeah. might be, you know, that crop might or that investment might be this. It's like, but I really think God showed me. And they'll never, they just can't connect it. And they would do it out of love, but it'd be like casting your pearls before swine. Not that the friends are swine, but, you know, that kind of thing. But then I've had those friends who, like you said, you tell them something, they'd be like, you know, eh, it don't make sense. But they'd say, if if you know that's what God said, you go with it. That yeah, that's, that's yeah. so they may not understand it, but they like okay. Yeah, but they still behind you. Yeah, they still behind you. I told you, I'm not gonna, I'm dispute you. Right. They're like, okay, you know. So it doesn't sound kind of weird, yeah. but um, you go ahead, you, you know. Right. And a lot of times what it tells you doesn't make sense. Right. It goes against common sense. And, and and people, if you tell people, when he tells me to do stuff like that, I don't I don't tell people. I go ahead and do it when I know it's him. I share it with her and then go do it. See, you have her to share it with yeah. you. You you can trust her. Yeah, her. yeah. Okay. All right. So just thinking of go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say just listening to everybody, just to listen to Julie and Miss Mary's uh kind of testimony. Their friends or probably a lot of people wouldn't understand when you say that's your church. 
So you probably delete the share it with somebody <laughs> because you know, they, it's like yeah, you know, church. Yeah, so like that. You know, it's like why bother? Yeah, we just go to Bible church. Side. Okay, yeah. where do you go to church? Well, you're right, Kevin. You're right. <laughs> We're just looking right now. When people ask me, and I say, we meet at our home. There's a big silence after you say that. They get real quiet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I ain't gonna go down that rabbit hole. I'm gonna leave that alone. <laughs> I'm not cool that, but I'm gonna leave it alone. But just, but thinking about the practicalities of this, right? All right. So we we see how Samuel. You know, rebuke Saul here, right? And states that the Lord is, he has already sought out a man after his own heart. And we know that David is that man, right? After his own heart. Now, you identified Saul with pride, but yet in his beginnings, he was identified as a humble person, mm -hmm. you know, that, that did seek the Lord, right? Now, Practically speaking, how do we honor God's word and what God says to us while understanding our own frailty and that there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors? How do we balance these two realities? Well, I think if you never forget the fact that you didn't put yourself in that position, God put you there. Mm -hmm. It's only he who can keep you there. You can't afford to stop seeking him. Because we can get used yeah. to our own successes, right? Yeah. And forget where that success actually came from. Yeah. You think you actually did something. <laughs> I'm impressed with Samuel because he already knew what was going to happen and he already, he already picked another guy before all this went down. He knew. He, he read the book before the book happened. You know? yeah. I think God will show you too who you can trust. Like I had, I've not had, I've had some things, I'll say that in my life. And I had one friend, I'm, I'm making a long story short, I had shared with some things. And it seemed like a friend was like totally against it, but I knew it was God and I had some others who knew about it. And anyways, I'll just say that I knew that I knew, but I thought I could share with a friend and they kind of, they look like they downed it at first. And that's where Satan can get in the middle. It's a long story, but there was confusion in that situation. <laughs> then like months later, a month or so later, I had God. I mean, I, I was not mad at the friend. I really was. I was just like, I released. I said, they're just not going to go and understand. It's okay, God. I, I understand. I love them. There's some things you just can't share. Mm -hmm. And I kept feeling, you need to tell. So, so what's going on? Like, but God, they kind of, but God, right? I love that, you know, but I want to make sure it was God. I'm like, they said this about, tell them. And then a month later, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, whatever. And then like finally three or four months later, me and a friend got together and I talked. They asked me a few questions a little bit. I had doubts, but just kind of asking at first. We're sending an olive garden together. And then like saying, okay, so what has God told you next? I'm like, okay, here goes God. I didn't hear from you, <laughs> you know? So I think God will show you, you know, in ways like, Hey, you know, you can share this and get some wisdom from this person or that. That staying, you know, tuned in works. It's some of the stuff that happens. I remember one time I got in an argument with somebody and I punched them, and I felt really bad. So I went to my pastor. He was the most spiritual man I knew. I told him all the situation. I said, I, 
ended up punching this guy in the face and he had to get surgery on his face and stuff. And the pastor, I looked at him for answer and he said, Brother Gene, I'd have got him a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him and I yes. thought, I'm here to repent and, and you're encouraging me. Yeah, oh, you'd be good. That's exactly what he said. He said, I would have got him a long time ago. And I thought, oh, man, I don't need this. I don't need to be encouraged. <laughs> All right. Now, now, see, now, see, I'm in the therapeutic world, we could call that validation, right? Now, I don't know the end of that story, but, you know, in just thinking about that, like, yeah, I would have got him a long time ago. Now, if I felt that way in the flesh, I can share that and still say, okay, how can we make this right? Mm -hmm. Right. But offering that up to begin with, to just to, to, to let the, let a person know, okay, it's a safe, safe space for you to, you know, to share your faults. Right. But I'm not going to root you on for that. But I'm not better than you because I, if had it been me, I probably would have done it a while back, right? Mm -hmm. right? So again, you know, we looking at the scriptures, but also looking at okay, what can we learn and how we can walk this stuff out? Because the more I'm, I'm thinking about this, because like you know, people, we always like. Thumb on our nose at Saul. Quick to talk about how bad he was. But how many of us is guilty of some of that same mm -hmm. stuff? People pleasing. Yeah. Submitting to the pressure of peers, of the culture's expectations, in direct opposition to what God said. And I'm just talking about regular stuff. The thing I felt sorry for him was... He only messed up that one time. So he loses it all for one mistake. And David made a bad mistake. And he didn't, I mean, he suffered consequences in his life, but God mm -hmm. didn't remove his authority. All right. Now, let's, let's see a difference here, right? Now, you see how Saul responded when, when Samuel confronted him, right? Made excuses. Now, let's go to 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel 24. And I'm, for context, I'm going to start at verse 10. Now, I'm going to butcher a couple of these names like I already have. Mm, that's right. Yo, just show me mercy here. That's okay. Verse 10 says, but after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. The next morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, 
who was David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and asked him, will you choose three years of famine throughout your land? Three months of fleeing from your enemies or three days of severe plague throughout the land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his great his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning, and it lasted for three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation. From Dan in the north to Bathsheba, Beersheba in the south. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the deaf angel, stop, this is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Orana, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. Now, what do you see here in David's response? Taking responsibility. Yeah. Taking ownership. And another side note here, too, is how important it is for us to pray for our leaders. those in authority. Because the greater the influence, the greater the impact of your mistakes. All the leaders need is a prophet with them. Like like David had. David had his prophet, right? Yeah. But think about this. Like, you know, what... Because Saul made that one mistake. He lost the kingdom. Right. And then, you know, David took the census. 70,000 people died. So these folks are in leadership. The decisions that they make have the, the potential to impact mm-hmm. thousands, millions of people. Yeah. So, and I know, you know, it, it's, it's easy to kind of, especially, you know, in, in the democratic society we live in, to point our finger at people and, and you know, chastise them for their, their decisions and all that, but they need a prayer. Well, they, I mean, presidents, you know, red, blue, green, orange, whatever ticket, you notice they go in office, especially if they have like an eight-year run, and then they're so great. After they come out, they go, oh my gosh. Yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> think about it. Yeah, because you saw, you saw how, how Obama looked, jet black hair. Stuff was, but then, then, but after his term was over, you saw the hair, right? How gray it was. But you think, but I'm saying, like the the amount of weight there is when you're a leader like that. And I know I got to repent for this. Just doing a better job of of making that a part of my regular prayer routine to pray for those in authority. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why Paul said what he did, you know, because that, you know, the, the impact that they have on day-to-day life, you know, now, of course, you know, God is greater, but in the natural, the decisions that people in leadership make have a direct impact on us in, in various ways. The freedoms that we have here to just sit here and, and discuss the word, broadcast it to whomsoever will. There's a possibility of that being gone if the right leadership, if, if the, 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 the certain type of re- leadership is in place. So the freedoms that we have, I mean, you know, we we need to rejoice over those. All right, apologies for that sidebar. <laughs> now getting back to get to the the outline. It says in stark contrast to Saul, David didn't do this blame shift. He never blamed anyone for his, else for his failures. He always took responsibility. This character trait made David a man after God's own heart. When the Bible talks about having a pure heart, a perfect heart, it doesn't mean you never sin. You know that's obvious. Mm-hmm. And as we're going to see, David had, he had plenty of missteps. Next point says, are you someone who refuses to accept the truth that it's your fault that you're in the mess you're in? says a victim's attitude is a common attempt to dodge responsibility and blame others, like Saul did. People with this attitude won't survive, be blessed, or reach their full potential. However, if you will accept responsibility, then you can change you. That's strong. Now, looking at these points, how can I receive this without developing a works-based type of attitude in my walk with God? I mean, I can receive it as, okay, it's my fault, but then... I trust God to help me make the corrections, you know, going forward. Not it's my yeah, own strength. Like, it's like, okay, God help me to not to make this mistake again. Because I know you give me the ability and the strength to yeah. not go to I need your help. So, yeah, you get trusting Him to give you the ability or the strength, whatever you need going forward, you know. Stay on the right track. I used to do that when I was quitting cigarettes. Smoke a cigarette, repent. Sorry, Lord. Help me not do it again. And it was like longer and longer periods in between each time. Yeah. And finally, it just wasn't there anymore. Yeah. That's good. Now, he wants to keep us out of condemnation because 
Mm-hmm. That's where it makes it the hardest. And the, the easiest way to do that is repent. Yeah. Whatever you whatever you did, turn away from it. I'm sorry. I screwed up. Help me get to the next level, you know, whatever. And he will. Every time I have somebody come to the counter at the grocery store I work at, especially some a couple of coworkers at least, and they're like, yeah, you quit this, whatever. And I just go, just pace yourself. I try to be as gentle as I can with them because I go, them being hard on themselves, it's not going to do any good. I just ask God, I hope that the calmness that they feel that you're not great. That'll help, you know. But the way he said, you know, we when we make a mistake, I think one of the things we do is we try to hope it's gonna be fixed overnight. Like, okay, I did it yesterday, messed up. Okay. Tomorrow I wanna be completely and as he said, sometimes it's a gradual thing. You know, it's not like instant, you know, and it can be instant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a gradual sanctification. Right. So. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, At least in this right. body. So, so it's a, a gradual thing versus just like we want it right now. Boom, be gone. But sometimes it's just a gradual thing that you make sure you know your mind. You know, like you said, okay, I face this again. And I, I still messed up, but it wasn't as bad this time. Right. And so, therefore, so, so gradual. Like. When I got saved, I was addicted to four or five different drugs, and I was doing all kinds of stuff. So, the first thing the Lord did was I didn't enjoy them anymore. When I tried to get high, it wasn't the same high, and it was, I still would do it, but it, it, I didn't enjoy it. So, that started stopping me, and that was with everything. And every time I do those things, I repent, turn, you know, and there'd be bigger spaces in between until I wasn't doing it at all. So God's patient. But I think you got I think you gotta go to him like a dad every time and say, All right, I'm back. I screwed up again. I'm an idiot. Help me. You know. Yeah, that's good. Because how can you how can we walk in deliverance, sanctification? If we run away from the only one who can truly mm-hmm. deliver us. All right. And that's what that's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Right. Right. Because godly sorrow, I feel, you know, I feel bad about what I did, but I know that the Lord is merciful and He's the only one that can. Deliver me out of my mess, mm-hmm. so I got I got to bring it to him. Versus worldly sorrow that says, "Shame on you, you spoil you, Julie. You call yourself a Christian, <laughs> and you did, and you said what, and you did what? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, right?" Yeah, we're taught to run away from the very one who is the only one who can really help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so sad. And we talk about David being a man out of his own his own heart. God ran. David ran to him when he was in trouble, not away. So being after his heart, so even his own sin couldn't keep him from seeking the heart of God. Of course, the natural instinct is, you know, when we when we do something, you know, 
the natural response is, well, you don't know what she did. You don't know what he did. You know, and so, therefore, it validates our mm -hmm. actions. It says, you know what? They provoked me, so therefore, as he said, I punched him. <laughs> so, okay. And I wanted, him, I wanted him to say, well, now we'll pray, brother, and you can turn away from that. He didn't do that. I'd have got him before now. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't need to hear that. And this guy was a pastor of a holiness church probably for 30 years. But he never took a penny from him. He was an iron worker. So he worked every day and never took a penny from the church. Now see, again, that, that I'm not thinking about that. I mean, it, it just speaks to like how all of us have areas of strength and areas of weakness. Right? Yeah. So in a body, right, if if there's if like say you get Say something goes wrong with your your ear, your your ear, and you start to lose some hearing here. Right, you lose it. You start to lose function. What what will happen is other senses will do what increase. Yeah, try to overcompensate. Right. Now, the damaged ear. If the rest of the body agrees with seeking treatment for their ear to be restored, then what happens? Then that, that ear can be brought back into alignment and be restored. So to take relief off the rest of the body. But if the rest of the body says, you know what, you sorry ear, you need to stay I'm, that I'm, way. You're going to stay that way. <laughs> That's what you get for being so vulnerable and sensitive the way you are. You, you stink. I'm done with you. Right? So, that means the ear cannot get the restoration that it needs. So, the rest of the body is going to have to overcompensate for the lifespan of the body. Now, is it like that with us as the body of Messiah? People who fall when we miss it. Now, we should be about restoration all the time. All the time. So, I mean, me as the individual, right, it's incumbent upon each of us to take responsibility for our, for our sins. But it's not your responsibility to hold, well, let me say it like this. It's not your responsibility to cast judgment mm -hmm. on your fellow believer because of their sin. Is it is us setting the environment not to validate sin, 
but to be a place of healing and restoration for each other. So the Holy Spirit can do the work he needs to do in us. But again, that takes maturity. No, um, you know, I, um, you know, been through NA and AA and those, the rooms, the principle is what you were just saying, Julius. It's like, it's set up for people to share and nobody to pass judgment and them just to say whatever's on their heart and whatever is said in the room stays in the rooms. And, and it's scripturally supported too because it kind of falls under confessional faults one to another, pray you one for another that you may be healed. So I found it, you know, God used that to heal me, you know, from addiction more so than the church because the church, you know, that that I, or churches that I was associated with and I didn't know any other were very judgmental and that judgment really kind of kind of you know other than just a few people it kind of really shut me up or if I knew someone else it would shut someone else up that was um you know, in some type of a stronghold or sin or situation, they wouldn't want to talk about it in church because of the finger pointing. But you go to some place like, you know, AANA or, you know, there are all kinds of addictions. You know, the SA, it goes on and on. Um, it's open for you to just say whatever and then Everybody listens to you, and then they just turn away and look at the next person, and that's it. Thanks for sharing, and, you know, glad you came, you know, whatever, you know, and that was it. I have a, a girl I used to be friends with, and she reached out to me on Messenger recently. I hadn't seen, talked to her, seen her in, like, probably 10 or 12 years. And it's a long story short, but I noticed she looked at my Facebook a little bit. I don't go on Facebook a lot, but in, at the moment. But anyway, and she had liked through my thing. She's like, hey, how you been? I'm like, and she had told me she'd been through some things. And I wrote, I messaged her back. But I will say it this way. Um, I went on her Facebook, and I noticed she's really rough right now. She's got a lot of rough, rough around the edges, a lot of language and stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't, because where I came from, I don't look at it that way. I was like, look at me. You know, it's just, I just don't. Blinky, like whatever, and I know what she's trying to say, and I was just looking at some of her posts, just curious, you know. I was like, okay, what's she, you know, what's up with her in life? And I noticed that, and I mentioned in the past, I had a, some may remember a father figure who had kind of betrayed me in a way, and he kind of judged me when I went through what I did four or five years ago. He actually, it's a long story. He had adopted her, but then she did some dumb things, and it's not making it right what she did, but. He basically appears to be doing the same thing kind of to her that he kind of was doing to me, except she's a little more mouthier and she kind of speaks her mind. She had put this post out. She was really hurt from somebody. And it was it was very crude, you know, the language she used. But he goes, you know, 
vile and disgusting or something. He said something like that. Nothing else. Just like, this is in front of everybody. He didn't, I, mean, I can understand he messaged her personally, and he is her adopted legal father, even though she's an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, or like, hey, this is really gross. Like, what's going on? No, right in front of everybody, vile and disgusting. She just goes like, she comments back. She just goes like, almost oh, she goes like, Maybe a lot. He's like, yeah, I'm just such a, I'm a butthead or whatever, something like that, you know. And then he writes back again, because I got really curious a couple days later, I looked again, and he had said something else because she has a child. And he goes like, do you use that same mouth you use that language with? Do you, do you, do you kiss your, your son or whatever or whatever? She goes, yes, I kiss him all over his face. And I don't blame her. I mean, I, I would probably say something sarcastic back if I had a little more of a mouth. And then he just wrote back sad. And I'm thinking like, it's sad or you didn't ask her how None she was. None of it was a father's heart. Yeah, was just confronting in front of everybody, you know. What's going on? I mean, he knows what she's like. But she's going like, what is still going on, baby? What's going on, sweetie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's more like this to her instead of... And to me, that would almost be the same, you know, on a social network like that, social media. It'd be like, if one of us did something stupid in here, and not that you would Julius or Eric, but, you know, like, if y'all were like, oh my gosh, Julie, what are you doing? You know, instead of like, quietly or personally doing it, you know? Like, it's just sad, you know? Right. Like, um, like Kevin saying, you know, like a, you have to go to the world to find, you know, that Yeah, and I, I was listening to what he was saying, and I, mm-hmm. I just think about, you know, how sad that is. It is yeah. very sad, yeah. That brothers and sisters in the Lord have to go outside the body to get Support. Sad. And then, you know, and that just it just it it create it creates that atmosphere for church hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And that church hurt is just a, it's a vehicle that the enemy are used yeah. to turn people away from the faith. Because sheep bites. The sheep will bite you. <sighs> Let's go to James 5. I want to go to that scripture. Yeah. I was going there, but I will say this. But surprisingly, I was, you know, kind of taken back of how many Christians were actually in those rooms of any. You know, after building relationships with them, mm-hmm. some of them. I found out, oh, you know, they go to such and such, you know, you know, first back to so and so, you know, this and that, you know, but it was something about the structure of that organization that was different. They felt safe. Set up safety. It was set up differently for healing, whereas the structure of the church was just set up different. You know, where condemnation or, you know, you know, judgment was kind of, you know, a little more prominent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. James 5, I'm going to start at verse 13 in the New Living. says, are you suffering any hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come 
and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm going to pause right there. Now, you see the atmosphere mm-hmm. this set that, that James is talking about? Mm-hmm. Like that first question, he says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. So my fellowship is not supposed, you know, you go to a local fellowship or whatever, whatever that looks like. It's not a competition to see who's living their best life. Right. It's not me trying to one up somebody. It says, are you are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. And look at the next one. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Right? You see the the synergy that's there. I like 16. Confess your faults and then pray for the other people that confess theirs. And you can expect healing to manifest in your life. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, I think, too, we got so sad, which, of course, we definitely need physical healing. But I think we forget, you know, like the emotional and mental healing, you know, that it means. I believe it means it all, which I'm sure we all agree. Mm-hmm. I'm just pointing it out. It's, it's so many things that need to be healed. And so we were saying we don't feel safe a lot of times in the church room to go, hey, I have this issue going on. You know? Yeah, and, and what I see is is a safe place like Miss Mary saying, you know, 13 through, you know, 16. It's like very safe. It's very open. You don't keep secrets. You don't have to keep secrets. If you do have a mental or emotional illness, it's okay to say it, and you're not going to experience any, uh, what are you doing Feeling like that, Jesus, you know, he bore all your sicknesses, you know. And I've seen that also in the church where it's like people are afraid to come forward and say, you know, I'm not feeling well, I'm sick. Yeah. Or I'm struggling because they think, well, you're not a real strong Christian, are you? You know, or, you know, you haven't really received well what Jesus has, you know, paid for on the cross. Don't you know he's, you know, it's none of that. You know, in 13 through 16, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, like what your teacher was saying, you know, it's like nobody like trying to one up on anybody. You know, mm-hmm. everybody just wants everybody to be well. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just say, you know, you have to. Yeah, I would say this because you know it's it's good to be vulnerable. But then you can't be. Real vulnerable, everybody. I know we, you know, you're talking yeah, to. It's just, you know, you and so, and so I'm, I'm not that open with everybody. Some people I can, who I know, who mature, who's spiritual. Yeah, okay, yeah. I just, 
of course, but everybody is not on that same level. <laughs> so you can't tell them, like, you, can, you might get what just Kevin said. They may, you may get rebuke and all that kind of stuff, or they may, you know, take it some kind of way. But so you just have to be, you know, who you are talking to. And some people can't handle, you know, the information that you give them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what Eric is saying, that's just, that's wisdom. Right. That's wisdom, but that's not, it, it shouldn't have to be that way right. in the body. But practical wisdom says that's necessary because everybody's at different levels of maturity. I think the sad part comes in is that I think the key focus here is that a lot of times there's nobody, you know, at all to go to sometimes, you know, yeah. like, right. You know, but like we said, yeah, practicalism is like, yeah. be careful who you make your close friends. <laughs> and what, what Kevin was talking about, he was, that's, that, that's that word of faith, holy shame. <laughs> well, brother, you not, how could you be dealing with that? Yeah. You, you must not be a man of faith. Oh, you know, it's like, come on, man. Well, I admit you, there was a, you know, season where, I mean, because you taught it a certain way, I mean, you know, I'd be honest if I thought a Christian was depressed. I'm like, wait a minute. No wrong with you. How you get there? How you, you know, and that's, cause I, you know, based on what you, you're supposed to have it all together. Mm-hmm. So if you get to that point, then, you know, judgment, condemnation, something wrong with you. No. I think that's why a lot of big ministers and even big time famous ministers have fallen or fallen worse or whatever you want to call it because I don't think they felt like they had anybody to go to and maybe they wouldn't have went through what they did. They could have trusted somebody. I heard Jimmy Swagger say that. After there you he go. He said, he said, where do I go? He said, if I tell somebody something that I'm tempted or that I'm doing, he said, it'll be a headline the next day. He said, where can I go? And I, th- I, I felt sorry for the guy. I thought that myself was, yeah, I already knew what happened to him. I said, I'm not condoning that. They did. It's just all those ministers that sat up there, they were clamoring to be with him. Mm-hmm. But the moment he fell, they distanced him instead of someone reaching like, well, what's going on? They didn't do that. And the say was, he, and he had some other issues instead of someone, they rallying around going like, we're not condoning this. We're here to go. We're going to pull you back and we're going to find out what the cause is and we're going to pray with you and love you to you heal. And then, you know, it'll, it'll no, oh, just, just ran. I mean, like, oh, don't, oh my gosh, I can't, you were with him. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was coerced in that, you know, instead of going like, yeah, I was. I was, I talked to him all the time. I stole my brother. He made a mistake, but I, I love him and I'm there for him. Could yeah. 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 It was wrong. What you're saying? That he's human like but you don't know what's in his head. You don't know how many, like you said, the targets. Mm-hmm. The targets on on the back. It's yeah. like, um, do you want that target? You, well, you, where do you have enough being a Christian? Can you imagine? Like you said, you have a target because you you're sitting there. I'm telling people on a more in a smaller scale, but it's a bigger scale. Anybody, yeah, any of us do, but you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying is when you try, Abby, and I'm. I mean, I'm I, I will admit, you're trained. The, the day, number one, the day you become a minister officially, you got to know it all. 
You gotta have it all, and you you know you gotta I mean, be perfect. You gotta be perfect. You yeah. gotta have it all together, and you can't. There's just certain things you can't be dealing with because otherwise, and you can't because they think you're supposed to have it all together. How the, you know? Just vultures come along and try to pick you pieces. Yeah, how are you if a minister struggling with this or dealing with that or going through this? They're ready to because you're a servant of the Lord, like everybody else. Right. But I'm saying, right. if it was taught right, though, and you see these heroes of the Bible, how they felt. These guys, in my opinion, are above the average pastor in the corner church, and shit, this this tells it all right here. So, so you know, you shouldn't be, you know, surprised when something like that happens. You should say, "What can I do to help this guy get back on the right path?" You know. Right. We taught my David. Think about. Great, oh, 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 oh. Uh, wait a minute. Do you remember that? Uh, oh, yeah. Then most of them we don't associate with all the bad, the infidelity and, and the murder yes. and all that. It's like, oh, that's right. That's the classic. I remember when one of these other ministers fell probably 10, 12 years ago or so, and it was, and he, he fell in homosexuality. I'll say it that way. Everybody probably knows who it is, but, anyways. I remember it was like churches everywhere. It's like, we're going we're gonna to get rid of his books, his teachings, or whatever. Apparently, he had some good stuff, you know. I never listened to him personally, but apparently he did. And our youth leader at the time at our church that me and uh, my friend Dennis, we assisted, we're like assistant youth leaders, he was really big on it. And he told the youth group, too. He goes, I've been like, okay, fine. You want to do that? Take the Bible. We're about the Psalms. We're about mm -hmm. the lines about David. We're about this. We're about that. He goes, that's the same thing, you know. So you're talking about Ted Haggard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to just say one key thing um, in what, you know, they call the rooms and what Kevin was saying. Because of the nature of the illness, you can't, you, you can't keep secrets and you need to be honest. And I think that yeah. is a... Um, uh, you know, somehow in the church it has to be restructured because, and that's with anything, you know, with the Bible, Jesus put it all in there. You know, I mean, you know, it's all in there. All the faults of, you know, all the saints and everything. So there's no hiding and there's no yeah. um, secrets. It's all in there. So it's, it's a, a perfect manual for how the church should receive people to where they are because you know come come as you are you know that's the 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 um the altar call you know come as you are you know mm -hmm. you don't clean up and then come to church you don't clean up and then join the church or or that you know so um yeah yeah that's that's uh, um you don't come with your secrets you know you come to confess your sins with one another so. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that, but that's just that key part that's missing mm -hmm. and that sometimes keeps people in darkness. And, yes. you know, yeah. like Eric was saying, you become a, become a minister or pastor, who says you have it all together? Right. You know, that's your calling. It's just like we all have the calling and we all have the gifts. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. shame on us. We're looking at the pastors and thinking they should be perfect. And then the pastors don't have anybody to talk to. Right. So it's just like a vicious cycle. 
Well, we are well before we we um close out for the night, I wanted to mention uh send condolences to the family of um Pat Robinson who passed it today. Transition. How old was he? Ninety three. Oh, that's a good long life. Yeah. Yeah, so he transitioned to be with the Lord today. So, you know, being being right here in Virginia Beach area, you know, wanted to yeah. give a shout out to his family, condolences to them. I worked over there for years uh, as, as counselor, counselor on the phones and stuff. I thought it was a neat woman that one time she took me there and to see him dressed all in suit, yeah. but he had on tennis shoes. <laughs> he came walking out. To know that my dad, when I was a little girl, and I you know, accepted Jesus in my heart my beginnings. I wanted to be a CDM host when I was a little girl. <laughs> that was like my dream job. Oh, wow. He's 93. Everybody's 93. He's got something. Oh, the ones we're we're very honored. sorry to hear that, though. Yeah. yeah we were very honored. He, uh, he, he gave to class 2023 our, our son Jess's the last Charge. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. That just made me daisy go, right? Yeah. yeah. It was on video. It was on video. I went to their counseling classes. Who's that guy's name? Did you get the counseling? You remember his name? He was famous at the time. He's probably gone now, too. All right. Well, we send those condolences to the family again. All right. And um, thank you once again, Social Media Family, for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Bye.